What up, y'all? It's noon on a Thursday. It's Ergo. We are back up in this. <laughs> I'm Daniel. You're tuned in, as always, to us showcasing strong voices from Chicago and beyond. Each week, a live, long-form conversation with a different writer, musician, organizer, poet, thinker, actor, just person reshaping the culture of the city. Um, like I said, I'm Daniel. I'm Damon. What's good, y'all? So happy to... Uh to see you I, I am envisioning you and your beautiful <laughs> face right now <laughs> i hope you appreciate it before we get to our special guest for the day uh, as we like to do uh, some community announcements up top you have anything you want to start with this monday the uh, next edition of breathing room let us breathe presents breathing room a space to um get together in fellowship but also kind of process and deal with the things going on in this world it's a free event free food uh open mic political education dance party um you know, workshops, all types of things going down. It's also going to be a celebration of Rakia Boyd. This is the four-year anniversary of her being killed by police officer Dante Servin. Um, we're going to be helping her brother uh, envision a foundation in her honor. Also, later that night, there will be a comedy show going on. There will be another comedy show on Tuesday. Uh, Google these things or look it up on Twitter if you are on SoundCloud or anything because I don't remember where off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. And so that's Monday the 21st at... Uh Cermak and Central Park, and you can look on uh, Let Us Breathe's Twitter for all that information. We got flyers and everything. Also, uh, tonight, that's Thursday, uh, is the probably the uh, monthly police board hearing. Um, as you've heard every month on the show, we like to show up and you know make sure that voices are heard and that they can't just keep working that same program, especially in that space. So come through. It's at the uh, headquarters on 35th and Michigan. Uh, what time? 6.30? Uh, show up at 7 o'clock. Just a little bit of context on that. You know, like I said, Rakia Boy has been dead for four years. Um, it has been a year since Anita Alvarez let off Officer Dante Servin. Um, and it's been months since the police board has promised to fire him. So so Rakia Boy's murder is still catching, collecting a check with your Chicago tax dollars. Um, and it just proves how invalid, illegitimate the police board in Chicago is. So if that doesn't make you mad, you're not paying attention. Uh, and last thing, uh, if you're looking for something to bring you a little joy, as it's been doing all month, uh, the finals uh, of Louder Than a Bomb, well, Indy, yeah. Indy oh, finals oh, oh. are today at the DuSable right down the street from here. Uh, Six o'clock, tickets are still available. And team finals are Saturday. Buh, buh, buh. There's the sound effect <laughs> at uh, the Auditorium Theater <laughs> right downtown. Congress in Michigan. Tickets available for both. Come through, see the culmination of this amazing five-week festival. Speaking of, louder than a bomb, uh, we have a very special guest here. Yeah. Uh, he's a poet, an educator, uh, a friend. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Coble. Woo! <laughs> Wow. And then I'm going to give you the, ah, uh, wait, with what they do? Eh. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks. I feel at home now. How are you feeling today? How uh, how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world? I'm excited, man. You know, we, we I just left, uh, we have a national symposium that culminates in our finals week. So we have about 70 partners in the room right now from all over North America and Bermuda. Mm. Shout out to Bermuda out uh, to in Bermuda the building always. who are trying to learn about uh, a lot of bomb, how we educate, organize, and arrange ourselves here in Chicago to possibly bring it back to their, uh, you know, their area. And so um, that's the we use the backdrop of finals week in order to have this national symposium. Mm -hmm. And so it's really good to have those folks in the building. Uh, I just left a house dance and music philosophy workshop with the homie Boogie McLaren, mm -hmm. who is kind of uh, getting them rooted in House's notion of radical inclusivity, because that's where we come from. Um, and that's how the spaces that we built, that's how that's how it was organized and arranged. Um, and we were inspired by those spaces. And so Boogie's there with them right now, getting them getting them situated. Yeah, got to give the, the backdrop there. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's the 16th year of Letter Than a Bomb. Um, you know, and as a as a creator, basically, you've made a lot of things, some big, some small. Looking at this festival, uh, what in particular are you most proud of looking at it? I, I think this year, in our 16th year, I think the poem is, is the best it's ever been. And I think why that is is because of the politic. You know, I think that we are in a moment where young people are 
incredibly attuned and hip to what's happening. And they're using their language to imagine not only a different reality, but also critiquing the realities that they find themselves immersed in. And so I've been so impressed with just the craft of what mm -hmm. folks is doing this year. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that's, you know, that'll be seen on the you know final few stages that we have. And of course that reverberation is much larger than just a festival. Or right, let's take a step back for all the people in the city that uh, are under a rock or for people who are not in the city and the LTAP ripples may not like get their no way. Yeah. Uh, what, what is louder than a bomb? Can you explain it? Can you contextualize it? Um, I, I, I know that has to be difficult for someone who's never been in the room to really be able to understand just with a few words what all it is, but could you give that a shot? Yeah, of course. No, it's, it's a Chicago Youth Poetry Festival. Uh, it is a, it's, it's spoken word, hip hop, breakbeat, poetry, uh, but as a community organizing tool and event. So we try to organize like the Illinois State Basketball Tournament meets um, essentially like an MC battle, but mm -hmm. no beats, just poems, just stories, narratives. And we work in communities in high schools around the city of Chicago in every zip code. We bring 120 teams together at the festival, and we try to use this tool of storytelling to have young people traverse Chicago in a way that they didn't prior. You know, growing up as a kid, Chicago, like it is now, uh, was dumb segregated. The few cultural spaces that I found that were radically integrated were house music spaces and then later hip-hop cultural spaces. And so we try to use and that tool of spoken word to bring people together to discuss all of what's happening in their life. You know, and on a stage, you see uh, most of our events are about 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. And in those 90 minutes, you have young people from all over the Chicagoland area talking about what they care about, what they hope for, uh, that they don't like math, that they got a crush on somebody, <laughs> and also that uh, Anita Alvarez got to go or they, they, they lost somebody that they love. To, to violence or police brutality or whatever whatever it is and so um you know that's what you get to see i think you get to hear uh in a lot of a bomb space what the city sounds like and looks like for real and it's one of the few cultural spaces where you get that opportunity in chicago yeah i think is that's what's really unique about it um in a way that's sad that like it shouldn't be unique that like kids or students get the opportunity um to like talk about their world and express what's happening to them because I, I get the opportunity now to like go into high schools and kind of like have little secret conversations with students <laughs> um and like within 20 minutes they're like wow this never happens right or this is the best day um that i that i've ever like i've learned more in 20 minutes just talking uh than i did in any class uh in a way that's like there's something really toxic going on in cps right like this like privatization of education is happening here in a way that's like super violent um so i, I know like it, i did some of the promo for ltap this year and i said you know a basketball court and the ltap stage are kind of like the only places where you can really get the nurturing or um the attention that you need to really um develop so so can you talk a little bit about how YCA and, and Louder Than a Bomb are able to get in schools and, and what that like experience is like? Yeah, and I, I think that's a really good point. I think we see the work that we do as uh, this platform vehicle for public education and keeping education also in the public space for the public good. And, you know, we work in community spaces. We have a crew of teaching artists who live at the center of the organization. They're folks who've for the most part, come through the festival, now are on the other side of high school or on the other side of college. And we've been working with them over the last few years to train them to do this teaching artist education work, uh, you know, root them in a pedagogy that puts a student at the center of the classroom space and try to use this you know, th this curriculum to reignite, reengage young people in their process of self-education. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like, of course, you know, if you're sitting in school, you know, you have all this false history, you have very little that relates to you, you are really being pushed towards a job that doesn't exist right. or a service sector economic job in order to, you know, primarily serve, you know, wealthy people who are going to push you out your home anyway. And so part of what we're trying to do is get young people to connect to the vibrancy of their own story, take a look at the world around them immediately, like on the block, and then begin to connect those to global economic histories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so with that hope that these experiences and like that process of creation and sharing shapes folks' worldview, um, for you, let's say like 20 years ago, uh, what, like are there pieces of the worldview that you were 100% certain in that through building, whether it's this festival or your, between your art and all the other million things you do, like pieces that you were 100% certain of 20 years ago that now 
have either become more complicated or you have like rejected all right? Uh, I think that we know, and this is, you know, one of the things that primarily motivated me is that white people continue to lie on history. Mm. And, and that's something from Jump Street that I was, uh, you know, I, that made me want to read. That made me want to write. And so that continues to this moment. And so the, the notion of using these tools to counter Eurocentricities and dominant narrative monoliths is remains essential. I mean, I'm a, I'm a hip hop kid and I was put on and into work because of Chuck D and KRS one and kind of a, you know, post civil rights, but still in that moment of black liberatory struggles and, uh, you know, uh, national liberation movements to find a different way to tell the story of what was actually, and to use that as a galvanizing tool to organize mm-hmm. um, in, in public cultural space. And so that remains the same in 2016 as it did for me in 1987 uh, in some ways. And, and of course, I've learned a lot about how to navigate space mm-hmm. uh, personally. And I think there are, I think, I think our goal has been to connect the cultural to the political. You know, when we talk a lot about uh, changing the culture to change the politic, to change the policy. And I, I think we're beginning to see those reverberations mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's like no mistake when you look around the city who is having a very big impact uh, culturally, sonically, politically, in terms of education, organizing, who are writing the critical pieces that are putting right. people on to what has happened historically or in this moment is a lot of folks who are associated with the festival. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, this absolutely. culture has shifted. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think I think that is a, a really good point, right? Like, even myself, as someone who didn't actually compete in LTAP gr- growing up, I still feel um, like a product of it or a product of that community or that culture, even like watching my sister when I was nine and 10 years old, right? Like in LTAP two and yeah. LTAP three. Well, she, was, she was a big part of it. Right, I right. Mean, and, and yeah, no, and, 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 and like, you know, from you know, from, from like Chance on down and No Name and, and Malcolm and, and everybody that, that are really finding their, their spot in this world. And damn near you, everyone we've had on this show. You know, Shout out have, you know, have some, <laughs> some type of connection uh, to this scene. But I, I want to talk about a little bit of what you said about, you know, growing out of this politic and this understanding of the history and, and hip hop culture as like a black liberation culture. Um, and then also how that relates to you personally, right? In, in, in your positionality. Um, Cause this is something I deal with as, as sometimes when I'm trying to like counteract patriarchy, right? So, so how does, how do you navigate that tension of working in a culture um, and, and, and creating a, a life for yourself out of a culture um, that then sometimes the world may benefit you in a way that that culture is actually working to counteract, right? Like, how, how do you deal um, with the fact that maybe some of the institutions that are supporting this work that is creating so much space for, like, this liberatory consciousness um, could somehow recreate some of those same paradigms, right? Like, how, how do you deal with that tension on a day-to-day? Right, and that's a, that's a, that's a big question. So, um, <laughs> you, you know, I think... I think if, we got time. Yeah, we got, oh, good, okay, all right. Yeah, 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 good. Go ahead. Finally. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I think a few things. One, I think hip-hop made whiteness visible. Um, you know, I was that white dude uh, for a very long time, and in some ways still am. Uh, at the same time, hip-hop always made a place for me personally mm-hmm. uh, in the cultural space because I think I was entering in a way that wasn't... Uh, on some nonsense, mm-hmm. you know, I was trying to get um, a chance to do a lot of listening and then eventually started to participate in the creative cultural practice mm-hmm. and uh, tell my own story in a way that felt feels authentic, real to me. But I did a lot of listening before anything. I mean, I played the back of uh, another level at LitX, a, a spot in Wicker Park that I came up in. Um, I never spoke there. Uh, I just sat and watched and eventually people were like, yo, what's up, dude? You good? <laughs> and, and then eventually then I got put on. Um, but I think that I think that hip hop made uh, whiteness visible to me. I think it makes it visible, uh, especially in that era where it was a paucity of white people. Um, now, obviously, we're in a different moment where uh, hip hop has become popular culture and has been subsumed by, you know, you know, multinational corporations who right. use it to sell Burger King or <laughs> Dentine or, you know, the, the values of, of white supremacist, mm-hmm. patriarchal, mm-hmm. imperialist culture. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I think that hip hop is also 
remains a, a counterculture and a counter narrative to that same system. So it's complex, but I think if you do it, if you do it well, um, you know, that, that it has, it, it, ha it is, it remains an impactful tool. Were there other folks who had specifically white folks who had done that well, who you'd watch do it well? No. I, I, I mean, and yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, John Brown, you know, I, I think, um, other than that, like, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I where... mean, I knew you were older than most Yeah, listen, guests, listen, but... man, I go back, you know what I'm saying? Like, Midwest I've been doing this day. work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you heard? Um, yeah, and so, and, and in some ways, like, um, you know, one time, well, I, I'll say it's funny because uh, Bill Ayers is, is one of my mentors, mm -hmm. and he is a white person who I've learned from too. And, and I think, I think Bill would say this too. I don't think Bill did it perfectly. I am far from perfect. Um, and I think when you're trying to build a new world, uh, there will be things that you have to learn. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think part of what I fear is that white people remain in a state of uh, ennui to be French. I don't even know, I don't know, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, mm -hmm. which is like the static state of death. Mm -hmm. And I think guilt is petrifying for white mm -hmm. people and fearing that you'll make a mistake is petrifying for white people. Um, we don't need necessarily like white actors at the rally being anarchists and getting you know black organizers at the forefront of the movement mm -hmm. in trouble but we do need white people to act both in their communities and just in the world and so i've been able to see you know historically john brown bill ayers uh, a handful of others kind of but you know i stay learning from you know primarily i mean i i stay learning primarily from from you know organizers and educators and artists of color um, I don't think that there's a lot of great examples of how to be white in this world. Mm. Uh, and so I think part of what we need to do is reimagine who those leaders might be. But I also think it's okay to not to learn from p people who don't look like you, too. Yeah. So so with that, like, I appreciate that that critique a lot. Is there ever a time where, like, you're in the space, right, um, a as you are, like... Um, like representing this this amazing culture, right? That you feel the need to like challenge that whiteness, right? Like a room full of like, oh, what are these louder than a bomb kids doing? Like, can you bring them to my, you know, foundation and we we you know golf clap at their hip hop? Like, is there ever moments where you have to challenge that? Because I'm sure you get a lot of offers from like the very sexy nature of like young black kids performing. Yeah, all the all the time, and and I think I I think this I think is as long as we don't compromise what we do, you know the the world is ours to take. Mm. And and I think we do a lot of work at trying to build with our community of artists to have them understand that, you know, they should really just delve into what's real for them and spit that and kick that and articulate that and never will we compromise that. You know, we were at a UN dinner with the mayor and spitting like you know, whatever our truths were in the mayor's space. And, you know, if they come to the festival or not, it's not going to change what it is we do. Right. And, and I think that, I think that's the thing. It's like, you know, all of these stages, all of these institutions, all of these places in Chicago are ours. And part of what we've tried to do is pry open these, you know, Eurocentric institutions that criminalize young people once they walk into the building, whether mm -hmm. it be public school, or the Museum of Contemporary Art, mm -hmm. and say these two are our spaces. And you cannot criminalize people once they walk in the building, even though you don't understand their cultural form. You can't ask them to, you know, what you can't ask them to take off their hat. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? Especially because like my hat's also a yarmulke. Do you know? You feel me? And so I'm not taking it off. Um, and and so I think that I think it's 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 how are we affecting infecting spaces that exist? Because a lot of it is just proximity. You know, part of what we're doing for real is trying to you know er eradicate boundaries and tear down borders. Mm. Um, and I think once people are in the know, you know, then it's like yeah, actually there is something radically wrong with how this city is operating. Yeah. You know, um, you know, whiteness is pervasive and boring. And so <laughs> let's change it, you know? Yeah, well, we'll give uh, on that note, chew on that for a minute. We're going to play a song. Uh, <laughs> we're going to take it all the way back. Uh, one of the voices on this is going to be at uh, Ladder Than a Bomb's benefit tomorrow at the Metro. You can still cop tickets for that, I believe. Uh, here's Shut Em Down. Public Enemy, you're listening to Ergo, WHPK, ErgoRadio.com. Yeah. 
Shut them down on me. That's like gonna be my new anthem. Uh, where are we are here with Kevin Koval, um, the artistic director at Young Chicago Authors, yep. a co-founder of Louder Than a Bomb po- Youth Poetry Slam, uh, also an author. Um, so, question: How does it feel to like do work with like students, right? Like kids that you met when they were like fifteen. And now you have a book, right, with like Nate Marshall, or he, he also was a co-editor on Breakbeats. Let's talk a little bit about 1989 and that experience and collaborating with people you helped cultivate. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons why I started Loud Under the Bomb, which, you know, I was young when I started teaching. So I've been teaching in Chicago since 96. Mm. I was 21 in 96. Mm. My students were 18, 19 years old. One of the reasons why I grew a beard was to like try to look older. <laughs> you know? um, and, and so part of what I was trying to do was find also my creative community mm-hmm. and build and, you know, try to foster this larger cipher of folks who were also engaged and interested in this new poetic. Mm-hmm. Because I was writing at that time for now, you know, a number of years. But I kept, if I went to poetry stuff, it was just, you know, like t- typical, like yeah. nature, like, oh, I'm going to, um, excuse my performance. The breeze in the wind yeah. the wind in the breeze yeah and i was like oh yeah you do very well um yeah i wasn't feeling that you know and, and i didn't start to write because of any uh poet you know i started mm-hmm. i mean chuck uh, krs called himself a poet and a teacher which is why i wanted to be a mm-hmm. poet and a teacher um but i started to write because of like the lyricism that was happening in the music. Are there Kevin Cobble raps out there somewhere? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, hopefully nobody the, finds them. There might be some. Look, there might, look. I, I think I probably rhyme in this room. Um, you know, in the day, but hopefully those are long dead. Those dats have been melted on some someone's microwave. You know, um, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah. So I don't. I, I used to run around and and try to build uh, a, a community. You know, and mm-hmm. then and then so you know to meet then. A lot of students, former students along the way is how you build like this, this army. And so, I mean, you know, with someone like Nate or Malcolm, I mean, these are, these are some of my closest people in the world. Mm -hmm. And I met them when they were young and I was younger, Uh, but I was certainly (laughs) older and, and in a mentoring type position. And so that is, uh, you know, I, my closest people come through this work. I mean, all my people come through this work. In Mm -hmm. fact, I have no, first of all, I don't like that many people and (laughs) I have, I have no, like, my family is this community, mm-hmm. you know? You have no other friends outside of this? Not really, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but to is that, that scary? Uh, no, no, okay. no, a lot of us. <laughs> Look, and we're growing, forward, right? you know? Yeah. I mean, but in that, in that process, like, that perpetual crew building or family building, um, one, like, why does it take forever and why is it so hard? And because I, I think, one, I think it is just from being around it and like trying to build your own, but also like I've watched, we've talked about the Breakbeat book being a Breakbeat Poets anthology being an example of like very deliberate crew building. Um, 
Like, why is that such a priority and such hard work? Um, and then also, and this is a two-parter, I feel like you could oh, take Oh, wow, that. okay. Uh, <laughs> like, when someone who's in that family, yeah, you're balancing it very well. When someone who's in that family who you make things with and you build community with, when just like happens with everyone, some people like miss the mark or come up short or cause harm. Like how have you learned to navigate that? Yeah. So the first part, I think the reaching out for family and some of the difficulty in forming and community around essentially aesthetics is essential, but difficult because as guru said, whackness is spreading like the plague. Mm -hmm. And I think that the line that, for me, what I draw like a line in the sand about is is aesthetics. Um, if you're whack, I cannot rock with you. <laughs> you know, and I think like to me, if you're whack, like you're whack as a person. Like if you're <laughs> whack on a mic, you're probably whack as a yeah. person, which doesn't mean that everybody who's nice is a super, you know, progressive <laughs> individual. Do you know what I mean? All of us have our flaws. Like if you don't know that you're whack and you're still like... So problematic. Yeah, then. right? Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like not learning. Let's clarify as a teacher. Like not if you're new and you're following. No, 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 no. But no, if you no, are no, out no, here no, doing no. this yeah. and you are whack and you are out here not saying that you're whack, right? I can't like, rock with you. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I think one of the, the, the things about you know, young people and me, myself, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm a grown man, but I still feel every time I come to the page, like, uh, like I'm new to this. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it's about a humility about understanding that the, cr like serve the craft, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. learn, build, grow, you know, don't be happy with what you just did and don't rest on your laurels. When I was coming up, I saw people in this field, you know, do the same poem for, five, 10 years. And it was the only thing I'd see them do. Mm. And I'd be like, where's y'all's books? Where's y'all's <laughs> records, yeah. plural, you know? And so the, the preciousness of what I did today is not going to fuel me into tomorrow, mm. you know? So I need to continue to grind. I need to continue to get up and write every day, which is what I try to do in order to even retain the title of poet. You know, otherwise, what am I doing? You know, I'm, then I'm just like, I'm, I'm just, okay, well, I got, you know, it, it, what what frustrates me is if somebody's like, oh, I used to do what you do. Like, first of all, my man, you never did what I did. And also, like, be, even if you did it yesterday and you're not continuing to try to grow today, then actually you're not doing it. Mm. Um, and I, I think so. I think to answer the second part of your question, yeah. you know, this is something that we are wrestling with constantly. You know, is what happens when somebody violates or somebody, I mean, people go on to do their own thing. And I, I think being in this work so long, I've seen very talented people who I thought were going to be the next whatever, the next Amiri Baraka or next, you know, uh, you know, Nikki Giovanni or the next Patricia Smith stop writing or move or move on or, you know, like fall in love with a stage and not continue to put in the work. Or I've seen people, you know, close people in this work also use this as a forum for, you know, their own uh, elevation and have hurt people in the process. And we as a community are dealing with, uh, you know, the ramifications of that. You know, I mean, we now at, at YCA, um, you know, we're starting to have men's groups uh, mm -hmm. to address issues of patriarchy and misogyny and sexual harassment uh, in our larger community. And I think this is something that's not unique to this work. This is something that's, uh, you know, that this world suffers and struggles in right. and that, you know, as artistic, creative people, we also need to unleash our radical imagination on changing, you know, everything that is causing people harm. And I also think that, Young people inevitably put the elders on to what needs to be addressed next. Uh, there's there's a passage uh, during the Seder where they talk about each generation reveals new freedoms. And so that's something mm. that I, as a, you know, now 40 years old, about to be 41 in this work, I constantly look and try to hear what young people are, are telling the world and me uh, to be accountable to, you know, because they know what this moment is about in some ways as much, if not better than I do. So that listening process right there is, it sounds like you like prioritize that as a piece of the work, right? And it makes sense, like looking at the rooms, you're in a lot of different kinds of rooms day to day. Um, and some of that is, uh, I think, like it alludes to a little bit of what Damon was talking about earlier, like being welcomed into all those rooms or into some of those rooms that other folks wouldn't be and being like, okay, I can, you know, folks will look to you to kind of interpret. <laughs> um, 
but that kind of listening process and then like trying to have a piece of that be elevated and like open up more space for that to be heard uh like how how do you listen for what's that what that next piece is because you say like yes young people might know it um but it's a hard it, it you watch a lot of people who aren't able to listen for that and choose to ignore it yeah i mean i a few a few examples right first of all i feel like i stay on my studs turkle and ida b wells and, and what i mean by that is this, these are chicagoans who really used the tool of listening to people in order to determine how they might move in the world and it also that listening process was a part of their politic because i'm one person uh, but I'm trying to listen to as many different people as possible in order to understand what actual radical democratic practice might look, sound like. Yeah. All right. Um, as as an example, uh, you know, first of all, we're not, I don't, th I mean, I don't think we are getting Anita Alvarez out of office unless it's for Asada's daughters and BYP. Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, that, and, but that is a, you know, that is a moment, a movement where young people primarily are, infecting affecting the way old people move in the world um so i think that that's powerful but personally an example is you know a lot of the spaces that we're in right now uh the, the you know the the idea of um you know gender fluidity or uh you know the the, the challenging of the uh, monolithic pronoun is something that my generation i think is like what you know what I mean? Um, but even just the, the use of the they, them pronoun is something that, you know, one of my students, uh, former students, HMELT, really pushed in our community, pushed me on. And now it's something that at the center of a lot of our spaces is, you know, the necessity of not having any sort of, you know, we try to create safe spaces. Young people inform what the tenants of those safe spaces are. What does safety really look like? Yeah, exactly. Right? And that's changing. Yeah, changing and growing. And we're constantly in the you know maintenance of those spaces. Um, but they're the ones who are informing them. You know? mm. Talk a little bit about, about that, that safe space politic, because I know YCA is, is where I learned it. Um, and, and kind of what you're talking about, like younger generations, like growing and challenging. I've even heard the idea of safe space be challenged to move towards the idea of like brave, brave space. space. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there was a moment right the, the day of the Laquan video release uh, while we were out in the streets. And like, this is where like it really clicked for me. Everybody kept saying like, you know, we're trying to stay safe. We're trying to stay safe. Mm. Um, and like, a, it was almost very fearful. Um, and I was like, we, we are not safe, right? Like safety is an illusion. Um, so, so how how do you then right if you if you profess this tenet of like trying to keep people safe um in a way that is sometimes neater than the actuality of that process right like how how does that make it more challenging when when things come up right like it's one thing for someone to be harmed in a space where it's almost the norm or to be expected but it a space that is claiming to be safe sh should be held to a higher standard. Um, so, so how does that like tension kind of work from your position? Right. Well, you're right. I mean, first of all, we are not safe and, and, and particularly, you know, obviously, you know, young people of color in this city on this planet are not safe. Um, and so part of what we're trying to do as public educators are create public educational spaces where at the level of language, we can mm. begin to True. use that as a, counterpoint and if somebody says comes into a space that we are in the midst of holding and if they use language that is sexist homophobic transphobic uh ableist um we are able to use that as a teachable moment mm -hmm. uh i you know know that we get a lot of young people who use all sorts of nonsense coming out their mouth mm -hmm. but it's not to shun them right. it's to use it as the teachable opportunity um and and what a great moment to have you know and we wrestle with this in our space all the time but if young men come into the space and have a thousand b's and h's in their in their rhyme or in their in their poem then it's a great opportunity to like you know get him in the space in the moment mm -hmm. or pull him to the side afterwards and also like welcome him back to the space to continue to come to right. because you've seen young men transformed who also are you know trying to eradicate you know these tropes out of their language mm -hmm. because it's not theirs you know the, the language that they're getting the language that we're receiving are, you know we have to you we have to reimagine and and put new words into the are, world are you seeing now like a, a generation of safe space art right like having held that 
tenant for 10 to 15 years and now right i i remember there being dudes from different crews like oh no i know i can't do that song at yca right um <laughs> and it gets to the point if yca is your main stage um that then you are writing for that audience and writing uh for those towards those values right and, and are you now seeing um as this community has had such a large impact some of that in the art are you hearing that like at least where we it has had impact, right? That change. I am, and I, I think we have a long way to go, you know. Um, but I, but I do think you see in the space and on the stage so many more young people feeling comfortable to be themselves authentically, unapologetically, and I think that there there was the power in that. And part of what we're trying to do is just create radically inclusive space. Um, and this is a tenant that I get from. Boogie McLaren uh, from the house music scene is that the necessity of just accepting everybody is also a way to think about safe space is that regardless of how you come, if you come with the right intention, like we're going to be able to work with you. You know what I mean? Like you might have, or I might have like not a perfect understanding of this, you know, specific politic or idea but part of what we're also going to do in this space is educate one another and that looks like accountability in a lot of ways i mean it's it's not throwing like you said it's not shunning someone because they came up short there it's using it as a moment to like hold them accountable and help them learn for you in whether it's building those kinds of spaces or even in your own art like who and what do you rely on to hold you accountable I mean, I think I think a lot of the students and I think a lot of the people that that are around me. I mean, I, I think a lot about uh, my, my good friend and, and, and former student. I mean, I, I've been learning from her as much as anybody is, uh, you know, my homie in New York, Angel Nafis, uh, who's an incredible poet um, and and thinker and, and writer. Um, you know, I think about her a lot. I think about like, am I doing right in the world? Would she co-sign this? You know, <laughs> and I think having those people on your shoulder are essential. You know, I think like I, I keep a picture of Gwendolyn Brooks on my 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 writing desk, and it's the back of her chapbook, The Riot, and mm. she has this picture where it's like she's not smiling; she's more like smizing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But a Gwendolyn Brooks smize is like you you better do right you know what i mean <laughs> and, and and i keep that on my desk because she's also on my shoulder and and you know my mentor is haki madabudi who was you know educated like haki's cultural mother is 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 Gwendolyn Brooks and so I take that lineage very serious um we're going to be at the Dusable Museum tonight and so we've also been able to work and stand in the shadows of Dr. Margaret Burroughs and so the legacy and accountability has a lot to do with the histories that we inhabit and where we're coming from and walking in and so I I take that I take that very seriously, you know, and so it's, in some ways, like I'm simultaneously trying to account for my elders and my ancestors and then also be accountable to, you know, at this point, the thousands of young people that we work with on the regular, as well as some of the close uh, aesthetic, artistic homies that are in my cipher. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about that idea, ancestors, right? Um, and some of it goes with the idea of like chosen or developed or creating family and have and like doing the work or some of the work to try to choose to make those folks your ancestors and to like create that tie there. Um, but how do you think about the, uh, the, the de facto ancestors who are, who caused more harm that like you also have to, or I, I feel like white folks, the two of us very much included in that process have to like be, wrestling with and holding ourselves accountable to them as well and what they did and do and how it impacts how we live. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think part of what we're trying to do, right, is to achieve wholeness. And so in the totality of our examination and the accounting for our history, then we take all of it into account. Uh, and how do we then assess and analyze and process and then move forward? You know, and part of what, I mean, we can't deny, I mean, that that's part of the problem, right, mm -hmm. is that whiteness has a grand amnesia. Whiteness is about an uh, an ahistorical outlook, you know, where we continue to erase. You know, erasure is 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 part of what whiteness does time and again, both in terms of history, but in terms of this cultural moment um, in an age of Iggy and Macklemore and you know, other folks, you know, we have an erasure, you know, that we have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that won't <laughs> allow Eric B. and Rakim in it. 
you know, and that it's called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the first people were not Muddy Waters and, uh, you know, Chuck Berry. And, you know, they were they were they were other folks who didn't, you know, who who appropriated the jump blues and made it rock and roll. You know, we have we see whiteness work again and again. And so I think that part of what this work is and part of how I imagine it is, is that, the, you know, the the Jewish religious imperative to do tikkun olam to take this series of parts and repair the holes in order to make the whole holy and holistic and the totality is what we're going for you know um and not that we in that totality do we ever uh gloss over our difference um there is the there is the tendency in this country to you know, reify the myth of the American melting pot, as opposed to understand that it is through the particular, through the radically specific, our difference is what ultimately makes us this incredibly beautiful fabric of people. Mm-hmm. That's what hip hop also understands. I think at its base is this uh, pastiche collage aesthetic where you are, you know, it's diasporic culture. Mm-hmm. And so what does it mean to then be a person of the diaspora? It means that you're inevitably scraping against other peoples who are and who are not you. And then in that moment, you're also trying to survive and not cause harm. Mm. Yeah. Why don't we, uh, hear from a uh, a former student uh this is one of my favorite songs uh that's come out I, it was one of the first albums after i came to chicago that was in constant rotation um saba's burnout featuring aaron allen kane you're listening to ergo 88.5 whbk ergoradio.com Wake up, air, wake up, air, day, 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 day
Wake up there, wake up there, day feeling good. Wake up there, wake. Butter comes next on the, yeah, the mixtape no, for those you who did, don't know. You did the like chopped and screwed perfectly. <laughs> That'd be funny if uh, you did a whole like chopped and screwed album, but you didn't actually do it. You just had someone with a really deep voice. <laughs> Me, yeah, yeah. It, it's coming. Anyway, that was Saba featuring Aaron Allen Kane. Uh, burnout off of his project comfort zone if for some reason you haven't heard that yet go listen to it it's incredible and uh yeah he's a an ergo alum true so there you go we're here with kevin koval um i know you like that song yeah I, i'm a big fan of that song <laughs> also aaron allen kane will be at our team final saturday night she's one of true. our we we are we are uh as a as an organization, we our finals theme is going to be tributing Black Girl Magic, and so throughout the whole evening there will be a lot of guest performers, um, and she is is one of them. We're very excited to to welcome her. Dope, super dope. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back to something that you were talking about a little earlier, uh, which is the idea that like everything comes down like your basis of what who's worth messing with and everything. 100% is rooted in the aesthetic, basically. Like if someone is if their art or even just like the way they walk through the world isn't uh, fresh, strong, yeah. fresh, then like there is no, there's no point. Um, that like takes, I don't know, I remember like one of the first times you used that framework, it was like a, like it was kind of jarring for me. Yeah. Um, because it, it's like this extreme trust in your own and like confidence in your own aesthetic and that like you know what's, what's fresh basically like where does that confidence come from and like how can you trust your own taste that much over the world like times where you're like everyone's like this is great and you're like no this is terrible why do you feel comfortable saying that um i think well first of all i, I feel like i have uh, a real trusted crew of people who i build with but i think also just you know so far into the work I I know what I like. I know what I don't like. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, of course, it might be different for people. But I think part of what I'm also trying to say is that it has to be an inviting space that people are drawn to. And, mm. and, and in some ways, like, it, it is a trick, too, right? We, we use the trick of the poetry slam to put thousands of people in an auditorium to listen to what young people in Chicago are saying. At the same time, we're also using the trick of an aesthetic to organize people into hopefully what is a public educational space that will ultimately create a new culture that creates right. a new politic and so it has to be attractive you know if it is if if the if the show is running too long if it's like people who are not fresh on the mic if it's you know people who are like coming and like you know just if 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 it's not appealing then I think you will not attract the masses because what do we what do we want? It's not stuff that's shiny, but it's want it's stuff that ultimately will make us move or be yeah. moved by. And so I think aesthetics then help to propel the larger political, you know, social concern. Um, I think that I also think that people need to pay attention to what it is they're putting into the world. And I think like you could be you know, you could be like a conscious MC. That doesn't mean you're nice. Right. And what you're doing by not being a nice conscious MC is you're also hurting the what you're ultimately trying to talk about because people aren't trying to hear stuff that is whack and people are right. not trying to hear stuff that or, or go to stuff that is supposed to be you know galvanizing them if it's you know if they got to be there for five hours and it's 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 not what it is. And you know, it's, it's not, not making what it could a move. Be. It's not making a move. Yeah. 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 I mean, one. <sighs> One question, when you say like that it draws people in or that it like can serve that galvanizing role, I think one question, and it comes up a fair amount on the show, is like, who are you trying to draw in, right? And so like one of the things that like I think is always challenging, especially in this kind of work, is like for whose, uh, for, for which audience are you are you presenting things and making things? And is there ever a moment where you can actually be making something that's not for the white upper middle class gaze? Yes. And I think that's the work that we're trying to do. Um, I would say that we're, you know, we are a, a youth centered space and even, even my own writing, I feel like I know it works if I read at a high school or to a high school class and they rock with it. And I don't care what, I don't care if, 
you know, whoever, if Poetry Magazine publishes it or not. Mm -hmm. um, I've never, I, I didn't pick up a pen for them, and I'm not trying to, like, have them validate me one way or the other. Mm. I am co-signed if, uh, you know, whatever high school English class, community organization, if that room of 10 to 500, you know, young people rock with me. If I'm, you know, the book I'm writing right now, People's History of Chicago, I just read uh, poems to this open mic on Monday of all high school kids. And I thought that they were rocking. It's brand new poems. Right. And I thought, and I'm not, you know, I'm just reading them off the page. Mm -hmm. yeah, but I think that they were, they were with it. And if it works with them, I feel like it'll also work with everybody because actually, you know, who's, who, who are the tastemakers? You know, they are young people, what, 15 to 25 and really 25 is probably old. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, it, like to me, like what are the, what are the songs of this moment? Um, you know, Kendrick's All Right, as we were mm -hmm. talking about, is probably the new national anthem. But I would say right now, if you throw on D-Lo's, uh, you know, Do It Like Me Challenge, mm -hmm. uh, like that also goes. Yeah. And I don't care if a white person listens to that song or not. That song is verified classic, you know? <laughs> right, right. I, I feel like this kind of relates to what you're saying, but you use a term like early on in what you were just saying that you use a lot over this hour of public education, a public educational space. Uh, and, and in the way you're using it is very counter to like what we say, what we mean when we say public education in America usually. So can you kind of like talk to that divide of that distinction a little bit? Cause it sounds very important. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we're, we're all the things that we're doing, right. Uh, all the things that I'm trying to do as a writer, as an educator, as an organizer is about the process of public education, public being not only in the confines of a, you know, what is deemed an educational space, but the broadest possible spaces. You know, we will be doing public education work Saturday night at the Auditorium Theater with 4,000 people. Mm -hmm. We'll be doing public education work uh, at the Metro on Friday with Chuck D. And my notion of public education comes from how, I guess, KRS-One was talking about his uh, investment in edutainment, education through entertainment, mm -hmm. and that that is also a forum to do this work of public education. And, and, and I mean, like, if it wasn't for hip hop, I don't know how many young people are then reading and being transformed by the autobiography of Malcolm X. I don't know how many people are running into their U.S. history class challenging and arguing with their U.S. history teachers mm -hmm. uh, or go going into the English class and say, your canon is racist and it doesn't include uh, people who have been writing for before white people were alive or picked <laughs> up a pen. Right. And you also need to account for this because this is the vibrancy and the beauty and and, and, and the work that needs to be in this classroom space. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's what I mean, I guess, by public education is that we're constantly doing, we're, you know, that's, that is a everyday uh, lived reality. And in any space we're in, whether, you know, KRS-One says from 20,000 to 10, I'm housing. And so if it's in a small classroom space, if it's in a community organization, if it's at a university, if it's on a stage with thousands or five, it don't matter, you know, we're going to rock it. Cool. So as we get towards the end of the hour, you know, I think that that public education can come from a place of love, but it can also come from a place of beef um, and like taking the the worst to task. It's about that time. It's about that time, right. I think. Um, well, you know, for all of those uh, lovely loyal listeners at Ergo, we, we are doing the world a public service. We, we are holding um, a sect of our population that has been running amok accountable um every week we ask our guests to start beef with the r&b singer because they just are able to do whatever they want and no one says anything you know you. you know Thank it's you. been it's been generations now they just been able to lie and sweet talk and and take the shirt off and and oil up and all you know all man if you go through the wow. decades you're getting real specific <laughs> I, that was that was early 90s i was okay, talking yeah, about right yeah. there but you yeah, mr I, kevin cole will have the choice of all r&b um, to start beef with with an R and B singer, who who you got? What, what you coming? And does it have to be do, do only one person? Um, it could be a crew. It could be yeah, yeah, yeah. You could put people in relationship. With not each not other. be a decade. Right? I mean, you got. <laughs> if you have more than I, one, bring I got, bring I got them a on. lot of I got a lot of bring years them on. In. First of all, I just I mean my biggest thing is that if if we consider Justin Timberlake to be R and B music, I think we have a problem as a country. Okay. So shots fired. I, I think that, I think that's Mickey Mouse stuff. You, you feel me? Um, but I I think just. In terms of like his sweater collar game, 
I don't really rock with Lionel Richie. I know that's not going to be very popular. Uh, I, you know what I, I mean? For, for some. I second that. Um, Specifically around the, the, the collar? It's just, it's just his sweater, co like outrageous <laughs> collar combination is is a little too much for me personally to stomach. Yeah. If we're talking about aesthetics, you know what okay. I mean? I just, I understand like, hello, goes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you put that on, you get some sweet whispers. But other than that, yeah. um, I'm, you know, I feel like I would, I would have. Justin Timberlake uh, to Lionel Richie. I did not expect it, Justin Timberlake. I, yeah. I appreciate no, I know, that. I know. I just, I, you know, people have crowned him the uh, new king of R and B or pop or something. I don't know, whatever it is. He's, you know, he's more like a pauper. You feel me? I think that's one of the one of the funniest eras is when people decided that lapels and collars could just get like absurdly large. <laughs> They're just like the bigger the better. Let's just go crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's a conversation I think for another time. I hope, I hope um, so or never. <laughs> are you uh, are you down to do a poem? We uh, didn't even talk to you at all about that because no. we are completely unprepared. No, um, as, as am I. I'm going to rifle through my bag. How's cool. that? That's that a, sounds that's great. Einstein's yeah. bagel, uh, <laughs> in, which doesn't that, surprise anybody. So while, but while we are figuring that piece out, we do have a couple tickets to the benefit gala that Louder Than a Bomb is doing, which is tomorrow night at the Metro, 7 o'clock. Chuck D in attendance, performing. Uh, it's going to be a really good night. Here's how we're going to do this giveaway. Uh, let's just do the first two people to tweet at Ergo Radio with the hashtag LTAB2016, LTAB2016. Uh, hit us with that, and you have e, uh, a pair of tickets. You get to meet Chuck D. Well, maybe not meet him, but you get to see Chuck D. You know what I'm saying? He's going to be in the same building you are. If you, you know, come on. No, and it, it's exciting. I mean, you know, that conversation, gonna, we're going to sit down at 7 o'clock, and we're going to, you know, just have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And then uh, Jimmy the Woods is going to, perform a brand new song at the metro and then she's no. going to sit with us and dr uh professor gay johnson um and then we have an incredible crew all night we have poems that are fresh off the lot of the bomb stage we're going to have uh in the building the set it off cypher the all, all women's uh hip-hop no, uh no. you know giant crew mm -hmm. now um and then rick wilson and then uh public enemy uh, well chuck d and dj lord of public enemy are going to perform as well at no. the metro tomorrow night so so tweet us at ergo radio Hashtag LTAB2016. Those tickets are yours. All right, business out of the way. Kevin, you got something to, to share? Yeah, this is after uh, Jamila Wood's song, Thirst Behavior. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's, I, I, there was graffiti on new apartments on Milwaukee and Logan Square. So your luxury is our displacement. Your taste, our bitterness, a shapeshift. Your hot list and arson. What's in style for you? A theft eternally. Appropriation via Wells Fargo. Armored cars. What embargo can we place once you decide you want? It's futile. A futile desire. The land. What it reaps from hands not your own. You eat fair trade avocados from Mexico via unfair trade policies. Policia deport Mexicans from this neighborhood that can come make guacamole on a work visa in an antique taco shop. A Ukrainian village without Ukrainians. When no more boating cane bodies walk the paseo beneath Puerto Rican flags in Humble Park, will you dismantle them into gearless bicycles sold at the West Town Ride and Sip? Or will you leave iron hanging for irony like shuttered factories that became gastro pubs brewers and metal workers can't afford to drink at? Your thirst unquenchable dries the throats of ancestors empties tear ducts of the indigenous depletes aquifers our rust water your aquafina your ebion our naivete your afterlife our prison present your cravings a wake of carcass carved and cooked to your liking a city that works with no more workers the artsy diverse vibe you seek will wither into a strip mall a bulimic culture devouring and throwing up ish that looks all the same hey make some noise wherever you are for kevin Koval. We Here's are here. Blah, blah. Well, that is our hour. I just want to say uh, thank you so much for coming on, but also thank you for for the work that you've done and, and, and your legacy. Right, has has impacted um, and shaped a lot of lives, and and is cre a vital part of creating a, a very important um, community um, that is doing a lot of great work. And I feel like I am benefiting from it personally. So thank you very much for coming on, and thank you for what you do, Mr. Koval. Thank you for having me on. Follow him at Kevin Kovo on Twitter, us at Ergo Radio. Uh, we'll be back next week. Come through Louder Than a Bomb this weekend. Thank y'all so much for tuning in. We gone. Shout out to the Lighthouse, 53rd Street. Much love, y'all. Hey.